0: Matthew chapter 5 reads like this Seeing the crowds, he, this is Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I think if we're honest, if we were sitting at a table and we had each beautiful attitude laid out on an index card, we would not have chosen this one to be fourth. I think we would choose it to be first because humans have a religious tendency. Some people take that religious tendency and they reject it, others lean into it. And what we do with that religious tendency is think that we're supposed to behave in a certain way. We're supposed to be whatever makes the God or God's happy, and then work really hard at that, preferably maybe just one or two days a week, but still. And so we would have put, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We would have put that first. But Jesus doesn't put it first. Because the beautiful attitudes grow and build. This is not eight different kinds of people. This is one person who is being grown, by the Holy Spirit because of the pursuing love of God into this. This is the description of a follower of Jesus in the same way that 1 Corinthians 13 is a definition by description of love. And Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is a picture of what happens to a believer. They grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The beautiful attitudes are what A follower of Jesus looks like, and they grow. Each one builds on the other. So we do not first hunger and thirst for righteousness. First, we're poor in spirit. We know that our need is entire. Your need for God's help from a salvation standpoint on this earth is 100%, and so is mine. It's not 99% him and, and some real effort from us. It's 100%. That's poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. The word blessed does not mean favor extended. The word blessed means deeply satisfied. In the Old Testament, there are two kinds of blessed. One of them is like that, and one is is the one from the New Testament. Blessed is flourishing art. It's a description of a follower of Christ. Blessed are those who mourn, and that's not about suffering. Someone asked me this after the first service who was not here a couple of weeks ago. So I, of course, told them. I did preach on this a few weeks ago. I said it kindly, though. Mourning is not about the suffering that you have encountered. The Bible speaks to that very robustly, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. When he says, blessed are those who mourn, he's talking about those who know their limitations with respect to love and justice. And they mourn that. They're not crushed by it, but it bothers them. Their sin bothers them. And blessed are the meek, Brian Maurer preached at our 9 o'clock service and Andrew Sharp last week. Meek is not weak, it's actually strength that is extended gently. After those things are in place through the power of the Holy Spirit, then follower of Jesus hungers and thirsts after righteousness. And don't miss the beautiful, sweet promise. They will be satisfied. Do you remember when you could picture picture satisfaction before all your cynicism from the legitimate circumstances that you've gone through and watching the news too much or whatever? But do you remember when you used to know exactly what that word meant, satisfied? Make no mistake, while I think we misunderstand parts of the Beatitudes, some part of us that is still capable of imagination And faith. When we hear, for they shall be satisfied, we are intrigued. And that is the offer of the gospel of Jesus of Nazareth. That you and I receive satisfaction. You're looking at that going, is that now or later? Yes. Flourishing are his followers. The beautiful attitudes, the beautiful way of being in the world that Jesus taught to his disciples was a description of a follower of Jesus and the deeply satisfying life purchased by the one true human. Jesus is the only one who ever lived as a true human. And in that, purchases for us this satisfaction. Jesus spoke regularly about something called the kingdom— And as I've been preaching the Beatitudes, I talk about the kingdom a lot. And I don't like talking about it a lot. As I I mentioned a few weeks ago, I'm I'm less interested in metaphors than I used to be. and, And I think that's why Jesus, when he preached the gospel, used that language so often to press into us and our imagination as men and women made in the image of God. When he preached the gospel, he would say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. What's the kingdom? The kingdom is the inner and external reality of a follower of Jesus. Let's say it goes out seven feet, the external reality. In Romans 14, Paul says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace. So joy and peace are the internal reality of a follower of Jesus, and righteousness is the external reality. You're like, what is righteousness? That sounds like kind of an old word. It's when we trust Jesus with our words, with our hands, with our stuff, at home and at work, learning to love well and learning to say we're sorry and ask for forgiveness when we don't. That's my kind of from the hip definition of righteousness. But Jesus presses into this as there twice in the Beatitudes. It said that they, the kingdom. This is the first beatitude for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It comes up again in John chapter three. He said, "Unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom." heaven. The Apostle Paul would describe this as being in Christ. The writer of Hebrews describes this as faith. In the last about 150 years, Christians have begun talking about it as a relationship with Jesus. We're trying to use language to understand the good news. That needs to be informed by how Jesus talked about it, which was kingdom life. If you're looking at your paper notes, it says, Flourishing are the frustrated. And the reason is I, I can remember so often in my late teens and early 20s hearing preachers talk about how we don't strive for righteousness and we should, and we should be. And they would, their voice seemed more grating than usual. And sometimes it was firing up and sometimes it made me feel oppressed. And that's not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not, you're a follower, you should be more tired for him. I'm so glad you're laughing, because you have a role. You have a role of love and justice and peace in your family, in your chosen vocation, in your neighborhood. But there's a full assumption here, and I'll explain that in just a second. There's a full assumption that you hunger and thirst after righteousness within your limits. So important. Got together with our elders, deacons, and trustees, and we talked for just a few minutes because we have limits of time about the importance of knowing our limits. What are your limits? It's doing what you can, where you are, with what you have, and not believing the lie, the lie that the point of being a follower of Jesus is that you be exhausted all the time. Where do I see that? Well, it's because this is the fourth beatitude. If you meet someone who's poor in spirit, who knows their need, when you and I are mourn for the sin of our, our own selves and the institutions that we participate in, when we're meek, we naturally have a knowledge of our limits. And we still hunger for righteousness. We still hunger to use our words and our stuff And our hands and our areas of influence for good. Now all humans sometimes—that's not the right illustration. There it is. All humans sometimes long for love and for justice. Theologians call this common grace. The term biblically for it is they're made in the image of God, and therefore they long sometimes for love and for justice. And Christians hunger at all times for righteousness. Do you remember the first time you heard a poem? First time I heard one and it it struck a chord in me was when I was reading the book The Outsiders. Does anyone in New England read The Outsiders? It's a phenomenal book, but it's written by someone from Tulsa, Oklahoma, so we're like, I don't know if we should read that. We all had to read it in Tulsa. And on page 67, there's a Robert Frost poem called Nothing Gold Can Stay, and I didn't turn to page 68 until I had memorized it because it struck a chord in me. It's about the reality of the world. What about you? I remember the first time I heard a love poem and it struck a chord. It wasn't the first time I heard it. I've tried to like poetry, and I actually don't. I've I've tried really hard. I can tell you, entire books of poetry I've read that I didn't like one of the poems in them. But sometimes, and you're like, that's trying too hard. And you're right. (laughs) But sometimes I hear a poem read, and it strikes a chord. Pablo Neruda said, I love you without knowing how, or when, or from where. I love you straightforwardly without complexities or pride. I love you because I know of no other way than this, where I do not exist nor you, so close that your hand on my chest is my hand, so close that your eyes close as I fall asleep. Immediately bought that book of poetry, didn't like any of the other poems in it, but it struck a chord, and it's because the reason it struck a chord is because humans in their, in their clearer moments long for love and for justice. but We don't maintain it. But followers of Jesus, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we long, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. To use the relative power we're given for good and for love, and to apologize when we don't. And this is without guilt or shame. This is with a knowledge of our limits. You are limited. You literally cannot be in more than one place at one time. And neither can I. I was reading this week a nineteenth century pastor named Charles Spurgeon. I don't know if you guys are are you familiar with Charles Spurgeon? One of the greatest things about him is he's a bridge between Presbyterians and Baptists. Because he was a Baptist, but he talked about the sovereignty of God a lot, so we all like him. It's kind of nice when we have somebody that we all like. One of the things I love the most about Charles Spurgeon is he struggled mightily with depression. In the midst of his sermon series on the Beatitudes, he had to stay home for a couple of Sundays. And there are circumstances around that. There's a wonderful book about his depression and about the gospel of Jesus called Spurgeon's Sorrows. He also started about nine orphanages and wrote 40 books. So it's not like he didn't leave a full life. But when he's talking about hungering and thirsting after righteousness, it's so accessible to me because he also knew his limits. And he liked cigars a lot, which I have no ulterior motive in telling you why I think that's interesting. Flourishing are Jesus' followers. Makarioi is the Greek word. Deeply satisfied, blessed, happy, because they hunger and thirst after righteousness. Even in the midst of a world this broken, as you hear the promise of Jesus that you are satisfied through a trusting relationship with him, you wonder how that can be in a world where atrocities in Syria are happening every day? It's not because it isn't atrocious. It's not because there isn't evil in our backyard and across the world. It is because that is the offer, though, that we can still have peace in our heart. Not because justice isn't needed across the world. But we have limits to what we can do about that. So we hunger and thirst after righteousness where we are, with what we have, when we can. And we still receive the peace of Jesus, because he is God, and we are not. A follower of Jesus hunger and thirsts after righteousness, but they understand that the kingdom is not yet. And one of the ways that we know that the kingdom is not yet is because of images like the one I showed just now. Another way that we know that the kingdom is not yet is, how many people do you know that you would describe as satisfied? Not smug, by the way. This is not smug. We're not arrogant. We're content in our being. How many people do you know? And the reason that we don't know very many people that are satisfied is because the w- if you have a computer or a television, you're told literally thousands of times a day that you won't be satisfied until you switch to this dishwashing detergent or that shampoo or have this car. And this, some of our heroes of history or maybe not heroes but characters of history that we still remember part of the reason that they made history is because they were unsatisfied Alexander of Macedon wept for there were no more worlds to conquer someone asked Rockefeller once at the height of his wealth as an oil man how much money do you need you know what he said I've made this illustration before just one more dollar And here's where we have a little bit of uh, noticing to do in our own hearts. Have you made an agreement about when you will be satisfied? A lot of times it's financial. I'll be satisfied when I have 800K in my Roth IRA. I'll be satisfied when my family relationships are blank. I'll be satisfied when my work week looks like this. And by the way, none of those are bad goals. None of those are, are separate from being a human being. I mean, don't hear me say that you're satisfied in Jesus and you can stop paying your bills. That would be very foolish. It does make me think of Office Space, though. You know, I've never really liked paying bills. You're not fans of that movie, that's okay. Have you made an agreement about your internal satisfaction? And here's the, here's the thing. The difference between making an agreement and not making an agreement is you set wisdom and family relationships and your vocation in the wisdom category, not in the heart category. If you don't believe you can be satisfied until you reach a certain point financially, you're believing a lie. If you don't believe you can be satisfied unless your family fixes some things, that's a good desire, by the way, but you're believing a lie, and you need to break the agreement. You know how you break an agreement? You say, Lord, help me break that agreement. You have to name it. If you believe you'll be satisfied when you have that job with that kind of hours and that kind of commute, you have to break that agreement. And the way you break that agreement is, Lord, help me break... That agreement, that I'll be satisfied when. And what happens when we break the agreement is not that we don't pay attention to those things. We still pay our bills. We still long for our family to be restored with one another. We still perhaps are looking at different jobs or thinking about our current job differently. But it's a wisdom thing. It's not a heart thing. When it's a heart thing, we're believing a lie, which is that there's satisfaction found in those things. We're missing the offer of Jesus. When we know our need, poor in spirit, when we learn to mourn our sin, when we see the Holy Spirit developing us into meek people who are quite powerful and do so gently. Then we hunger and thirst after righteousness and receive the satisfaction of the kingdom in our heart. Joy and peace. The church that I served in for 12 years in St. Louis, everybody looked like me 10 years ago. And we didn't know very many people who were satisfied, partly because we were still putting our lives together. Everybody, literally, was having kids. That's why there were 100 adults and 100 kids. Being at this church is a delight with respect to this issue. I'm not going to name them because it would embarrass them, but I know a number of men and women who are not wealthy, especially by Connecticut standards and they are satisfied. And the reason is not because they hit their goal. The reason is not because their family's perfect. The reason is not because there isn't stress in their jobs. There's a lot of stress in some of the jobs of the people that I'm thinking about. But they're satisfied because the Holy Spirit has comforted them with the knowledge that God loves them, likes them, that the work of Christ reconciles them to them. And so they approach all those questions about family and about money and about circumstances and about vocation as wisdom questions, not heart questions. And they're satisfied. And so for some of you, I'm encouraging you to consider the agreements that you've made that are lies about what would satisfy you. For others that are deeply satisfied, I hope that you thank Jesus for that because it is a gift you're literally hearing thousands of times a day that you can't be satisfied until, if you're satisfied, that is a gift of the Holy Spirit, and I would encourage you to own it as such. Flourishing are the followers of Jesus because they hunger and thirst for righteousness, but they know that the kingdom is not yet. You know how I know that? You know where I get that from? Well, all of Scripture, but also, do you know the last question the Je- disciples asked Jesus? Jesus? Catch this in Acts chapter 1. I know some of you know you're very astute Bible scholars. I mean that. The disciples said, Okay, Jesus. This is after he'd risen from the dead. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? And Jesus gave them a really long answer, which was a kind way of saying, Nope. (laughs) And we're in the same in-between time that led to the writing of most of the New Testament. What do we do in the in-between time that we can actually receive satisfaction in this broken world, even longing for justice and love to have their way more in the world? That's the tension that they lived in, and that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're invited to live in by Jesus, where your deep heart is given peace and joy. Romans 14, 17. Even as you continue to long for hunger and thirst for righteousness. Which means loving within the places God has given you to love, with the people God has given you to love, with the stuff he's asked you to steward. The kingdom is not yet though it is You have the kingdom in your heart. You've been given a new flesh. It's Jeremiah 31. You've been given a new heart of flesh. That's Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, and yet the world is not yet made new. So what's the application? In many ways, the application to any sermon is, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. As I was reading Spurgeon this week, There was a prayer at the beginning of one of his sermons on the Beatitudes. I got a strong encouragement after the nine o'clock service to read this slowly. So if it's too slow for you, I'll tell you who to take that issue up with. (laughs) And if you don't uh, click with this, because it's not going to be on the board, I made copies that are next to our offering boxes. If you want one on the way out, and hear me, this is not the gospel. But in light of the gospel this is how we pray. In light of the fourth beatitude that blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be satisfied. Here Spurgeon's prayer. Lord, help me to be righteous in my character. Thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Keep my whole nature pure. Let no temptation get the mastery over me. Subdue my pride. Correct my judgment. Keep my will in check. Make me to be a holy man in the innermost temple of my being. And then let my conduct toward my fellow men be in all respects all that it should be. Let me speak so that they can always believe my word. Let me act so that none can truly charge me with injustice. Let my life be a transparent one. Let it be, as far as that is possible, the life of Christ written over again. If you're a follower of Jesus and you believe that, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have said to him in prayer or out loud, I trust you with my heart and with my decisions, this is a good prayer in light of the fourth beatitude, and there's a copy back there. But it begins with the good news, which is that God loves you, and he likes you. He has purchased a flourishing life for you by taking all of the wrath of sin on himself and reconciling you to him. And he gives us the comfort and assurance and the comfort and assurance of that through the Holy Spirit if you know and trust that, then you long, you hunger and thirst after righteousness. And God has given and is giving you satisfaction of soul. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, would you help us to lean into your description of us who have given you our allegiance of heart and mind. Help us to remember our need, to mourn for our sin. Help us express the power you've given us with gentleness. And Father, help us to hunger and thirst after righteousness that we might experience what you have purchased, which is satisfaction to our soul. Amen.